So the focus of this, this effort is on uh, developing deeper relationships here at Faith. And so that would be relationships uh, among youth, relationships among adults, and then relationships between youth and adults. And so the, the value that most directly speaks to that is what we call authentic community. And this is the way we say it. We say, God created us to live in community with one another. We seek to cultivate deep spiritual friendships and other healthy relationships of accountability, belonging, and care. That's my assistant, my assistant Matt. Thank you. I run out of run out of voice here. And so uh, these relationships are just just vital. We have to have these relationships. You can have them without a building, of course, but many times these relationships begin. They're initiated in the context of gatherings that happen here at Faith. And so that's what we want to see these, this, this addition and this repurposing to do. And so we're going to talk, take four weeks to talk about authentic community. And specifically, we're going to look at these four images that the New Testament uses to describe the church. And so today we're going to talk about the church as a family. The church is a spiritual family. Some of you are aware I have uh, three brothers, and uh, every year we take a, a brother's trip, and every time we get together, we take the same photograph. We, we get the same pose, and so here it is. Uh, this is. We were in Denver this summer, and so there's the, the yes, we had t-shirts made. Yes, I have a mug with that picture on it, but uh, once we started having, having kids, uh, we, we added uncle to our name. So that's Uncle Mikey, Uncle Jeffy, Uncle Stevie, and Uncle Tommy. And uh, we're, just, we're just great friends. I just love these guys. And we never have conflicts. I mean, we, we just get along just amazingly. And you know why? Because Uncle Mikey lives about 1,000 miles away in Mississippi. <laughs> Uncle Jeffy lives 8,700 miles away. He's in Vietnam. And Uncle Tommy is 1,500 miles away in Boston. That's why we have such no conflict whatsoever. And we don't deal with budgets. We don't make any difficult decisions. We don't, we don't do anything difficult. We go on vacation together. That, that's all we do. 45 years ago, when we lived under the same roof, it was a very different story, let me tell you. But now, no problem. I mention all of this because the church is described as a family. It's described as a household of God. We're not on vacation together. We're doing life together. Uh, we have to do the hard work of resolving conflicts. We see each other at our worst. We deal with money. We make difficult decisions. We talk about priorities. And so not surprisingly, it's hard to live under the same roof in the same community in the church. Not surprisingly, there are times when we feel like giving up and dropping out. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, why the church is worth it, because we're a family. And we're going to look at a couple of passages that describe the church as a household. And, and we're going to apply this imagery, really this truth, to our relationships, a relationship among adults, a relationship among youth. And we've got like four rows of our high school students with some adults mixed in uh, over here in Quadrant 3. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about your relationships with each other and then relationships between adults and youth. In other words, all of us, we need to think rightly in relation to each other. The first passage is in Matthew 12, and Jesus introduces the idea of his family. And this is what we read in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 46. 
While he, Jesus, was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so I think we can assume Jesus was not trying to be mean to his mom. He wasn't trying to disrespect his biological family, his mom, his brothers. But he took the opportunity to explain to his followers something that they they vitally needed to know. And so he, he asked the question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? In other words, where do I really belong? He asked the question, what is my true family? And then he answers the question by making this gesture toward his disciples, again in verse 49 and 50, behold my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will, does not know my will, but does the will of the Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus' entire life was devoted to the will of God. In John 4, he said, my food, what keeps me alive is doing the will of, of my Father. And so Jesus says, I'm really at home. My true family is among those who do the will of the Father. And that makes, that makes absolute sense, right, when you think about it. If you and I have the same Father, we're family. And if you and I are committed to doing the will of the Father, we're family, absolutely. We, we are in this together. Whether we realize it or not, whether we want it or not, we are family. And here at Faith, we, we absolutely need to remember what Jesus says here t- in this passage, because the thing that binds us together is our common commitment to the Father and His will. If we are not committed to doing the will of our Father from the heart, then this whole idea of the church as a family, is just a cliche. Honestly, it's just a cl- cliche, and we'll all get bitter and cynical, and we'll just, con- we'll just eventually conclude it's really not worth it. But if we are moving together, helping each other understand and do the will of God, then we're living together as a family. And when you read the rest of the, the New Testament, you'll see that Peter, James, Paul, John, they pick up on this imagery and they flesh out what it actually means to live as a spiritual family. And uh, 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 they stress that we're supposed to think about the church as family and we're supposed to treat each other as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, children. And so he's talking about a family. A healthy family, not a dysfunctional family, but treat each other, think about each other as a healthy family. We should have that type of concern for and commitment to one another. And before we go on, I just want to acknowledge that not all of us in the room want this or expect this. We don't come in here. If this is your first time ever in church, you're like, I wanted a sermon and a few songs. You're talking about family. I didn't sign on for that. Or maybe you're thinking, "Uh, I've already got a family. I've got a great family. I don't want another family. I don't have time for another family. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not crazy about the family I'm already part of. Why would I want another family? And so it's just to acknowledge we're a lot of different places. I know as well, some of you have experienced what we're talking about today, and you can't get enough of it. You want more of it. Others of you have never experienced it, 
but you want it. You, you long for it. And so uh, uh, in order to stand, understand more, more clearly the type of family we have in mind, I want us to turn to 1 Timothy 3. And there Paul explicitly develops the idea of the church as a family, a household of God. And in 1 Timothy 3, I want to read these verses and then uh, we'll pick up the context, verses 14 and 15. He says, but I'm writing these things to you hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, Paul was often delayed. He'd get thrown in prison. He'd get beaten and left for dead. He'd be stoned. He'd be shipwrecked. In case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And so Paul was probably in prison in Rome, we're not sure, but he writes this letter to Timothy, and about halfway through he says, by the way, this is why I'm writing this to you, in case I'm delayed in getting there, you have to know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. And by calling it a household, by calling the church a household, he's saying the church is this complex uh, network of relationships. In the first century in the Roman Empire, a household consists of several generations. You could easily have four generations in one household. The household would have included servants, would have included uh, slaves sometimes, could have included business associates. And so a household in the Roman Empire was a complex web of relationships. But Paul says, I'm not trying to explain how to get along in, or how to live in that household. I want you to understand how you should conduct yourself in the household of God, the household that is owned by God, that's loyal to God. And, and if you read the rest of 1 Timothy, you'll see that Paul addressed all sorts of issues uh, related to household. In chapter 3, for example, he talks about leadership. He talks about elders and deacons. And he points out there that, that they should be people who manage their own households well. Uh, Paul asks the question of elders. He says, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Uh, managing your own household, that's a prerequisite. It's the proving ground, the training ground for taking care of the, the larger household of God. The same skills, the same mindset is necessary. In chapter 5, Paul uses family terminology to explain how older and younger men and women should relate to each other, especially when it comes to conflict in the household of God. And this is what he writes, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. He says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? If your father offended you, uh, you wouldn't shake your, your, your finger in his face and harshly rebuke him. Not if you're smart. If you're smart, you'll appeal to him. You say, Dad, what you did, it hurt me. I need to know that, that I'm offended by this. Paul says, in the family, with the older men, the household of God, appeal to him as you would a father. He says, to, 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 uh, to the younger men, as brothers, you don't treat your brothers like children. You treat them like brothers. Older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So think in terms of family. Think in terms of those relationships. If you grew up in a healthy family and you just, you just resolved conflicts, you worked through it to resolution, this is intuitive for you. 
Many of us here did not grow up in that type of family. Honestly, I can't remember a single conflict that was resolved in the family I grew up in. I remember a lot of conflicts. I just don't remember any of them being resolved. I mean, ever. This is not intuitive for me. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family where conflicts were ignored, and so you just learned to live with, with disjointed relationships. That's normal for you. You come into the church, and you think that's normal. Or maybe you grew up in a family that's used to yelling at each other. We just get it all out. We scream and yell, and then we go on our way. Maybe you bring that to the church. Paul is saying you need to learn to live as a healthy household of God. Back in uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul, Paul makes very clear what's at stake when it comes to our conduct. Again, he, write, he says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is, first of all, the church of the living God. We belong to the one true living God. Our conduct, our behavior is supposed to reflect his character and the way he treats us in Christ Jesus. And so the big thing we know about God is that he's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and compassion. So that's how we treat each other in the church. And so if somebody sent spies in here and they say, what are those people like? They should come away saying, those people. I mean, they, they love each other. They are compassionate. They pour out their lives for one another. They show grace and mercy to one another. Paul says as well, the church is the pillar and support of the truth. So the idea is that we're the pillar and the truth is resting on top of us. If we fail, the truth comes crashing down with it. There's a sense in which the truth is always the truth, whether we believe it, whether we live it out or not. But in this world, the truth is mediated through the church. And so if we fail to live out the truth and embody the truth, then God's reputation will suffer. The advancement of God's truth in this world will be hindered. And so the point of this imagery is that we need to live as a healthy household of God. We need to live as a healthy family of God. Now, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about what are some of the implications of this for those of us who are adults that will say, college age and older, and for our youth. What are some implications for you? And what are the implications for the relationship between, between us? And so, adults, I think it's worth acknowledging that many of us did not grow up in healthy families, and we did not grow up in healthy churches, okay? And this is not to trash our parents. It's not to trash, you know, the good people that we went to, to church with, but it's just to acknowledge that for many, maybe most of us, this isn't very intuitive. We have to learn this as we go. And it's messy. It, it's, it's hard for grown-ups to grow up. It is hard for us to change patterns. I mean, we, we have these deep ruts in our mind, these, these like a, it's, it's called the flesh. But we, we have these deep habits that, that are hard to get over. But I, I can't state it strongly enough that it is absolutely worth it to learn to be a healthy family. There's so much at stake. First of all, there's so much at stake in our relationships with each other as adults. There are other people, there are other grown-ups in this room and in this church that need you to be a good brother, a good sister in Christ. They absolutely need it. If you're not that, who's, who's, who's going to be the brother that they need, the sister? 
And so I would encourage you, be the brother that you want. Be the sister that you want. Don't, don't sit back and expect, well, once you prove yourself to me, then I'll reciprocate. No, we, we embody this because it's right and it's true. And second, and this gets to our relationship with, with our high school students and our youth, there are people younger than you that need what you can give them. They need you to give them the same types of things that you either have given your own children or that you, you would give your own children if you had them, okay? And so this will look different for different ones of us. And let me give you an example of how this has is, this is worked out in my life. So when our daughters were in college, uh, I developed the talk in our family. It's called the talk. And this is the talk I would have with these guys that were interested in my, my daughters, okay? And so I would get their permission. I'd say, hey, I'd like to take Boudreaux out, to, uh, out for coffee, and I'd just like to talk to him. And so I don't have any desire to intimidate him or, you know, pin him against the wall or anything like that. But I will say there were a lot of yes, sirs, yes, sir, oh, yeah, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. But uh, basically I would tell him, I would say, you need to know that I love my daughter more than you do and I care about her, and I want to encourage you to respect her. I want you to treat her right, physically, emotionally, every other way, and if you all get really serious, I would rather you break her heart than marry her unadvisedly. So I, I had this talk, and, uh, uh, and I got pretty good at it, and so <laughs> they're married now, and they're off, and, but, but I've known other young women in the church, and I've made this offer. I've said, hey, if you find yourself in a relationship with a guy and uh, you would like me to play this role and have the talk with him, I'd be more than willing to. And so some have said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. But a few others have said, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. And so that's a role that I can play. It's like the role of a spiritual dad in their lives. And so my point is, for, for those of you who are adults, keep your eyes open. There are things that God has done in your life. You have a lot to offer Think in terms of family. What, what do I have that I can give to other, other, the next generation? As we said many times before, children and youth, they don't need to see perfection. They need to see redemption. They need to see how redeemed people confess their sins to each other, uh, make it right when we've gotten it wrong, uh, humble ourselves before each other. They need to see us love one another well. If they don't, they're not going to want what we've got. They're, they're not going to love the church. They're not going to want what, what we're experiencing. And so they need to see us loving each other so that they will know intuitively what the Bible means when it talks about the church as a household of God, as a spiritual family. Okay, youth, it's so good to have you here, all corralled here, all together. Let me just admit that when I was in high school, I didn't experience anything that, that I'm talking about here today. I was, I was pretty much a, a goofball. And I didn't have a single healthy relationship with other high school students, not a single one. I didn't have any spiritual relationships with people that were older than me. And uh, I went to church, you know, my whole life growing up, I just didn't have any community. I didn't want it. I didn't know it was a good thing. I didn't feel like I needed it. It's not surprising that my first year and a half of college were absolutely a train wreck, and I experienced all sort of heartache and all sorts of uh, pain and things I had to undo later that I had done. 
Uh, one of my brothers, he told me this summer, he said, yeah, when I graduated from high school, I figured I was done with church. And he's never been back to church since. On behalf of the adults here, I would just say we want so much more for you. We want so much better for you. We want you to have strong relationships with each other. We can't force this on you, but we want, we want ministries, we want programs that will allow you to cultivate these friendships that are life-giving, that are nourishing for you. And we want you to have relationships with not only with your parents, but maybe one or two other people who are older who can help you negotiate life. We want to be good brothers and sisters, in a sense, spiritual moms and dads to you. We want you to love the church. We want you to love Jesus. We don't, we don't want to hinder what God wants to do in your lives. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, he's in, in college now. He told me this a few weeks ago, and it really blew me away. He actually told me, he said, when I was in high school, beginning in high school, there have been several times when I've had to go to my dad, are you ready for this? He said, I've gone to my dad willingly and confessed my sin to my dad. I'm like, who would do that? I mean, seriously, who would, when I was in high school, I would hide from my dad. I would, I would hide my sin. That's the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, I, they call that walking in darkness. But it turns out, why did he do this? Because ever since he was in middle school, he had spiritual Christian friends, people he could be honest with. He knew that he knew how to have spiritual conversations. He knew how to be vulnerable. He knew that it wasn't good to hide and to keep things bottled up. And he had the same type of relationship with his dad. And so he understands community. He has community now. And it's rich and it's life-giving. And we want that for you. And so I would encourage you to take risks take initiative in relationships with each other and in your relationships with us as adults. We don't understand all the time what you need. We, we don't know how to help you. Please be patient with us, but we want to try. And when we get it wrong, we want to apologize and we want to, to do better and we want to, to get it right because uh, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're, you're family. You're part of us. And so we want the very best for you. I want you to watch this video. This is just one example of what it might look like. It can look a lot of different ways. There's two people in this video. Uh, Maya is 17. Uh, she's in high school, senior in high school. Julie used to be 17 and uh, used to be in high school. So there you have it. Um, when I think of the household of God, I think of church. When I first began attending, it was everything that I'd been craving. It was everything I'd been wanting um, to find in, in the world. It was um, comfort, and the household of God is, is right here at Faith. Um, with the people I surround myself um, in Bible studies, in um, worship on Sunday mornings, whatever the case may be, these people around me are... Um, my family and, and God. So when I think about the term household of God, I think of family, I think of moms and dads, brothers and sisters, people living together, um, uh, maybe with a common goal of, of serving Christ, not, not doing it perfectly, but working together for that, 
before I um, before I was attending faith, I wasn't ever attending church very regularly. I was at a point in my life um, I was just struggling a lot with some family issues, some personal issues. So I remember meeting Maya in the in the lobby of the church, and um, yeah, just her her demeanor, her smile. Immediately, I wanted to hang out with Maya. It, it began questions asked like. Um, what's your favorite animal and what just some of the more basic questions, but then our relationship slowly continued to, de to develop It became became questions more like what are your biggest fears and what's your favorite scripture and how is this? Impacting your life currently my heart towards Maya is really one of, of a mom wanting the best for her daughter I probably have gained more from the relationship maybe more than Maya, maybe more than I expected um, to gain from the relationship. I love learning um, along with Maya, seeing her approach to the scriptures and, and um, learning those things, um, her approach to people that are hurting, her approach to um, the church, just how she loves the church reminds me to love the church. She's also just a great uh, mentor mom in my life and she's um, helped me learn how to study the Bible. She's helped me to learn, uh, develop a, a stronger prayer life. She's helped me just to, to really see other people in a, in a better way. And I've learned a lot from Maya about thinking about people that are marginalized, people that are, um, yeah, that are maybe not churchy type people, learning how to love. Um, yeah, I think Maya's maybe taught me how to love. Um, yeah, plus we have fun together. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> if I had never met Julie, I would say that I would be struggling a lot more than I am now. If that had never occurred, I would say that, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. That's a scary place to go. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Julie's going to be my mentor mom for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'll probably go visit her in the nursing home and stuff if she ends up there. <laughs> Just push me off a tree or something. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty funny. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lead us in these things. We pray that we would learn what it means to live as a family of Jesus, devoted to you, your will, and uh, helping each other seek your will, do your will. We pray, God, we'd learn what it means to how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. We pray, God, for our youth. We pray that they would grow up with strong relationships with each other and with older adults. And we pray, God, that uh, we as a church would be healthy and we would be nourishing and people would... Uh, find you here and find a uh, place to belong, place to grow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in worship. Everyone
passion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. 